Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. I'm Lindsay. I'm the pastor at Springbrook, if we don't know each other. Um, if we do, hey. <laughs> um, we're going to jump in today. I, I uh, have already said, I told AJ earlier, this one's long, so I hope you brought a snack. Um, so we're, we're going to jump in. Uh, I'm going to do what I do. Um, we're going to read the whole text before we get started. Uh, so we'll be in Colossians 1 today. I told you last week, uh, if you hear me preach, it's going to be out of Colossians 1 for a while. So we're going to get real wild this week and read it out of a different translation. We're going to read out of the message. Um, which, you know, you may or may not have opinions on, but it's really good today. So we're going to read it out of the message. So if you, the words will be on the screen, or if you want to follow along, Colossians 1, we're starting in verse 9, though the message doesn't really have numbers, so it starts with the words, be assured, if you're following along on your own device. So, um, <clears throat> so here we go. Colossians 1. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. This is like perfect for graduation Sunday. I didn't even think of that. Uh, we pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more about how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It's a heck of a phrase, isn't it? Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It is the strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son that he loves so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in, who got rid of our sins, we were doomed to keep repeating. We look at this Son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this Son and see God's original purpose in everything created for everything absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm so, I can't get past this. The grim strength of gritting our teeth, but the glory strength that you give, I pray uh, that today will be a day marked by us learning how to believe that. Um, I, I pray this every time I'm in this room, but uh, in my experience, you uh, show up here and we're so grateful and you move here and we're so grateful and you work here and we're so grateful. And so I just pray uh, that, we, that you would wake us up to your spirit at work in this room, in us, in our hearts. Would you give us the courage to look inside ourselves at the things that you want to um, maybe expose in us, ways that we are destroying ourselves or uh, the things around us, ways that you want to make us more free and make us more human. So in your name we pray, amen. 
All right, so uh, this is very much a part two of last week. Uh, and if I missed you last week, I'm gonna do a recap to get us all on the same page uh, and then we'll jump right in. So last week, we, we uh, really, these things, I think it's really incredibly important stuff to look at as a person of Jesus. Um, also, if you're here because you're curious about Jesus, I also think this is really good stuff to talk about, um, just being curious about Jesus. This is kind of the big story. That's what we uh, did last week. We took a couple of steps back and we looked at a really big wide view of the scriptures, um, of the story that the whole Bible tells from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. The Bible as a whole, we talked about, tells a four-part story. Um, I won't quiz you on the four parts. Uh, They're creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Uh, this, that's the story of the scriptures, the big, huge, wide story of the scriptures. That's what they're talking about. Uh, creation. Uh, it begins with God making everything and calling it good. And then he asks humanity to join in the creation, to make it better, to, to tend and make and cultivate the things of flourishing in the world. And then very quickly, uh, sin enters the story, the fall, part two. Um, it enters the world through Adam and Eve, shattering the shalom or the perfect peace and connection of us to God. God, of us to each other, and us to creation. And then part three, redemption. Uh, God makes a way where there was no way, offering salvation through the life, death, and uh, resurrection of Jesus. Uh, And then part four, renewal, the active and imminent work of the kingdom of God to renew all things, to put everything back together. Uh, Theologians, they call this a four-part gospel or a four-chapter gospel. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. And we talked about how for 1,800 years, that was the story that the church told, this big, wide story. But about 200 years ago, uh, the church started to tell a little bit more narrow uh, story, a little bit smaller story, um, uh, or, or maybe a better way to say it is that a smaller part of the story got a wider stage uh, for the story. Uh, we talked about how the evangelical church and the church by and large has ended up telling a really uh, good story about fall and redemption, but a little bit less of a story uh, about creation and renewal. It's not that uh, the evangelical church has denied creation and renewal. It's just that we've kind of allowed them to take a back seat. Um, And that has resulted in the church offering the world, again, a really good story about sin and salvation, but a less compelling story about things like beauty and work and culture. Uh, We haven't done as good of a job about uh, talking about these things. Explanation for beauty, for art, for music, for joy, for life, for ethics and creativity and human flourishing, things like that uh, here and now on the earth. So that was last week. Uh, It's always very humbling when you can recap an entire sermon in about three minutes, right? (laughs) Like, I could have saved you a lot of time last week. So, um, okay, so that was last week. Um, And I said this last week, and I'm standing by it uh, again this week. Telling half the story, only telling two parts of four parts, um, has caused us to paint, I think, a really uh, pretty unbiblical picture for where God is taking the world. Um, with creation and renewal riding in the backseat of the story, a big part of Christian culture has adopted what N.T. Wright calls pie-in-the-sky escapism. Pie-in-the-sky escapism. It's a view of the world uh, where we get sucked out and then the whole thing blows up in the end. And I don't want to spoil things for you, but that's actually not 
not the story that the scriptures tell at all. They don't tell the story of us getting sucked in the air and the whole thing blowing up. I don't have time uh, to do the whole rapture for you today, but I preached on it this fall at Springbrook. You can find it online or Aaron's talked about it here before. You can send us emails and we'll get you information about that. But um, there's a Dutch theologian named Herman Bavink and he says, when we don't tell the whole story, we get the impression that nothing much about this world matters. When we think that this world blows up in the end, then we get the impression that not much about it matters. But the Bible, uh, Jesus, they don't tell that kind of a story. They don't. They, they instead tell a story of creation, of honor and dignity. They tell a story of much about this world mattering. We were not created or redeemed in order to escape the earth, but instead to cultivate it to care for it, to join God in the renewal of it. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell the story of God blowing up the earth. Rather, it tells the story of the God who made the earth and who is renewing the earth. He's filling it with new joy, new purpose, great delight. Uh, Heaven is so unbelievably important to the story, but it isn't the end of the story. A renewed earth is the end of the story. And we kind of miss that when we only tell part of the story, right? Uh, So here's what I wanna do today. I want to um, look a little deeper at the big story that we talked about last week. And then I wanna talk about how we can live our lives out of that, out of that story. So in order to do that, we're gonna look at uh, in the Bible for two mandates or um, two commissions. None of us like being forced to do anything, amen? Um, (laughs) uh, But, and that's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus is never forcing anyone to do anything. He is always inviting, never forcing. Um, But these, these are big, big, big official invitations, (laughs) official commissions from God uh, to his people. Um, And so, Here's what happens. Uh, these things, they're not just big. They're really exciting, I think. You can probably tell. I start talking fast when I get excited about what's coming. So they're, they're not just big. They're also exciting. Um, what happens is when a four-chapter gospel gets narrowed down to a two-part gospel, then the invitations and commissions of God to his people, they also get narrowed down. And I truly don't mean this to be offensive, but I think they get really boring. Like, Really boring. An invitation to spend the rest of my life trying to keep my nose clean until I get to heaven, that's not super exciting to me. Maybe because I'm bad at it. <laughs> but I'm not, that's not, that doesn't get me fired up. And my hunch is that, that all of us sort of have this thing in us that's like, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more to this, that, that maybe life with Jesus is about something more. So um, before we jump in, there's a, there's a story in the vineyard that I love so much. You may have heard it, but don't stop me because it's so good. Um, the founder of the Association of Vineyard Churches, just if you are new to us, this may be good info for you. Uh, there, our Association of Vineyard Churches, there are thousands of churches all over the world. It's not just Maryville and Springbrook. Uh, we are part of a group of thousands of churches. So, um, but the, the, the man who founded our Association of Churches is a guy named John Wimber. Uh, he was a member of the Righteous Brothers. Anybody? Okay, okay. Um, And so when he becomes a Christian, when he meets Jesus, he's doing like a residency kind of deal in Las Vegas, sort of like Cher or Britney Spears. It's fun to be associated with those two, I think. Um, Cher, Britney Spears, John Wimber. Um, So John Wimber, he's like working in Vegas and he's living a life of literal sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And uh, Jesus rescues him. Uh, He he becomes a Christian and and, and what he does is he moves back to California, back to his family that he'd left. And... um, 
Um, and, and, and God just does this like quick and miraculous work in his life. And, um, and so uh, soon after he gets involved in a church and he starts reading uh, through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's reading through everything he can because he wants to know as much as he can about Jesus because he, he thought Jesus was awesome. And so at some point, John Wimber, he goes uh, to the pastor of his church and he says, uh, when do we get to do this stuff? And the pastor's like, what? And he's like, the stuff. When do we get to do the stuff? Like healing the sick and casting out the devils. And uh, when do we get to do the stuff? And the pastor looks at him and says, oh, oh no, we don't actually do it. And he was livid. <laughs> he's like, what? We don't get to do this? This is his quote. He said, I learned very quickly that we read about it, prayed about it, sang about it, cried about it, but we never actually did it. And here's my favorite line. He says, I wanted to do the stuff of Jesus. When I worked for the devil, he let me do all his stuff. <laughs> so uh, from this story, the vineyard started using this term, doing the stuff. And essentially it means, it's, it's, it's our way of describing the invitation of Jesus here and now to be part of the things that he's always been up to. Uh, so here we go. The first invitation uh, of Jesus uh, takes, or of the Father takes place at the very beginning of the Bible. Um, what we as, as Jesus people believe was the very beginning of humanity. Uh, in the beginning, God created the world and everything in the world. Uh, a writer that I am crazy about, his name is Robert Capon, and he says that the world begins with a theology of delight, a creator God who went around muttering good, good at the end of every workday. And it's out of this theology of delight, God creates people, Adam and Eve. And in the first moments of humanity, God offers a commission to his people, a distinct invitation just to the people. In Genesis 2, uh, verse 15, God says, watch over the earth and cultivate the earth. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message version says, work the ground and keep it in order. That's the first invitation. Theologians call it the, the cultural mandate or the creation mandate. Work the ground and keep order in it. Uh, God, he offers the work of cultivation, of creation to the ones he created in his own image. Work the ground and cultivate it. Get your hands in the dirt, in the stuff, and bring order to it wherever you can. Uh, the cultural mandate is an invitation or a commission of God from the beginning of humanity to join God in his work of creation. This invitation is one of the reasons that it's so incredibly important that we look at the entire story. We know the whole story because uh, it's important that we know that our story doesn't begin with sin. Our story begins with creation and invitation. Honor and dignity, creation and invitation before there's sin or darkness or a great fall in God's first plan, his original order, his original design, there is an empowering for humanity work the ground, and bring order to it. And empowering to cultivate, to tend, to grow, and to create as image bearers of a great creator. The God who made something out of nothing invites his somethings to create something out of something. Did you follow that? <laughs> uh, the beginning matters because it speaks value and calling and purpose into how we live and how we work and how we make things. 
One of the things that we say a lot at Springbrook um, is we, we try almost every week to say this line that we are created on purpose for purpose. We believe that. We believe that God created us on purpose for purpose. Do you know that, do you, know that you were not an accident? You were not an oversight. You, you, like the first man and the, fi- the first woman, we believe that you were created by a God woven together by his hands, placed on this earth to join him in the work he's doing, creating, cultivating, tending. But creation isn't the whole story, right? We talked about this uh, last week. We said last week that very shortly after this creation and commissioning between God and man um, comes the fall. And the fall is the moment when uh, the two created image bearers walk outside of their commission and into a new kind of darkness. Uh, Sin enters the story and it's bigger than just uh, a list of things right and wrong. I don't even like using the word sin because in my mind, I just start a list. Uh, uh, It's a song I heard called Don't Drink, Don't Smoke, Don't Chew, and Don't Hang Out with Boys Who Do. Like that's (laughs) that's what I hear (laughs) with sin. And, And that isn't the story. That's not, the story of the fall is not that just you can't do these things anymore. That isn't the story. Uh, When sin enters the story, it's bigger than just a list of right and wrong. Sin entering the story means entropy enters the story. Do we know this term? Entropy? Okay, entropy is a scientific word for a thing's capacity uh, for decline or decay. Uh, it, it literally, if you look up the, the exact definition in the dictionary of, of entropy, it literally describes the gradual decline into disorder. Entropy, it is the literal process out of order. I think we should use that instead of sin. I mean, we can use both. The literal process out of order, that is what happens with the fall, sin entering in the world meant, as we said last week, disorder on every level, on a human and personal level, on a communal level, on a wide and cosmic level. The ability to relate in all of those places. And this is why redemption and renewal are so unbelievably important uh, chapters or parts of the story. Because the God who created all things for flourishing was not content to leave the creation that he called good in the hands of death, in the hands of decline, in the hands of disorder. The cultural mandate uh, grows after the fall. Not just a commissioning um, to, to put things into order, but it becomes a commissioning of bringing and restoring order, of bringing back order to the things that were out of place. I said there are two commissions, right? That we got the first one. Uh, The second commission of God or invitation of God to his people comes at the end of Jesus's life on earth, right as he's returning to heaven. Um, Some setup. Jesus spends his entire life doing and fulfilling the original commission of God. If you kind of look at it through those words, it all makes sense. Jesus, he spends his whole life working the ground and bringing order to it. He dedicates his entire life uh, to the work of his hands, the work of his words, uh, in order to bring flourishing into the places of entropy everywhere he saw it. From his first breath to his last breath, his resurrection and ascension, Jesus creates, he cultivates, and he rescues and tends uh, with mercy and grace and hope and rescue. Jesus exists to bring redemption and renewal. Uh, 2 Corinthians tells us that uh, God made him who knew no sin. God made him who knew no entropy. 
That's how we can say it. God made him who knew no sin to actually become it that we might take on his righteousness instead. God made him who knew no disorder to become disorder that we might take on his order. That's the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, that through the cross, Jesus brings redemption and through the resurrection, he makes way for the work of renewal. Uh, in Acts chapter one, uh, we have the last words of Jesus uh, right before he ascends into heaven. Theologians call this the Great Commission. Um, if you have been around a church at all, you, you're familiar with this. You probably have it on a coffee mug or something like that. Um, Acts 1.8 says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth a second invitation, a second commission. And this invitation is reminiscent of the first invitation. The great commission is the cultural mandate from Genesis reinstated in Jesus. It's Jesus reminding all of his followers that we are still tasked with cultivating and with order to create, to reshape the materials of this world, to point to the coming of the next, to the glory of the king. The second commission of Jesus is a reminder that we have been created and tasked to do the stuff. We've been tasked with the care and cultivation of the people of this world. We just now do it in a very Christian way, a Jesus way, a kingdom way, a gospel way, with eyes of redemption and eyes of renewal. Uh, John Mark Comer, he says that we have been tasked and empowered as modern day Adams and Eves with a dual calling a dual calling to fill the world, work its ground and bring order to it and to go and tell everybody everywhere. To bring along and invite everyone we can and everything we can out of entropy and into order, out of chaos and disorder and into order. So let's talk practically in our last few minutes together. Uh, how do we live out this dual calling? How do we do it? Uh, I think a couple of things. Uh, first, I think that when Jesus tells us to go and tell all the stories about him in the world, I, I really think that Jesus 100% means that we should, as his followers, go out into the world and with our actual words, tell his precious people all the good stories. Uh, how we were made on purpose for purpose, how Jesus brought light to the darkness and is the great hope of the world, of how the God who made us loves us and is chasing after us and is relentless in his pursuit of us. Using our words to tell the story is absolutely part of a dual calling. But I also believe uh, that part of this commissioning also means using our actual lives to do it, our actual lives to live out what we've been invited into. Uh, it doesn't make sense to tell a story with your words and live a completely different story with your actions, right? I, I had a, a friend at Springbrook uh, recently asked me, like, what's the point, you know, of living out the life? Uh, and it's like, this is the point because when we say with our words and we do something totally different, nobody buys it. Uh, if you are, uh, have ever waited tables, you know this very much because Sunday afternoons are notoriously the worst tips you ever get. The church crowd are the worst tippers. Um, what they will leave you with is a track to tell you how to become a Christian with. What they won't leave you with is the dollars and you're there for the dollars, <laughs> right? If, if we're not living our lives with a story that we're trying to tell, it makes no sense. Holistically using our lives and our hand and our work, our money, 
Our brains, our laughter, our play, our songs, our dances, our food, our dreams, our jobs, fill in the blank, using our actual things to live out the story to everyone, everywhere, to use all of the ways that we live to tell the great story of the glory of a good God who created his people, who never let them go, and who has restored and redeemed and rescued us because we are his own. Part of our commission and invitation means using our eyes uh, to see both beauty and entropy everywhere we go. What is in order? And let's praise it. What is out of order? And let's see it and become part of the solution for it. It means using our minds to generate the vision and creativity to see how we might be able to bring order to entropy. It means using our actual bodies to help bring about beauty and order and renewal that we have vision for. Joining God in the renewal of all things, it means cultivating inside of us and outside of us a culture of work and formation and creativity and hope and delight, a culture of flourishing. That's the Bible word for it. What is, what is the point of God for humans? Flourishing. That's what he wants. It means learning how to live in the world as it is, but also having the vision and empowering to see it as it could be. This is what uh, my friends here, the Ketrins and Chris Sigmund and Nick Voiles, they do when they remodel houses. They see an old, nasty house for what it is and also what it could be. Uh, it, it, it's, it's what David Hawkins and um, Brad Hitch, who I stole and took to Springbrook with me, um, what they see when they see a guitar, like I see a guitar and I think it's beautiful. They see a guitar and see what could come out of it, Right? Uh, my friend Micah, uh, he owns Diamond Jack Wine Bar, if you've been there, and he does this with food and wine. He sees a plate and a glass for what could fill it, what could fill us with it. Uh, uh, my friend Cody is a carpenter, uh, and so he, this is what he does with wood. I'm not kidding, and I'm not being hyperbolic. Like, uh, there is a staircase that he made that I literally know Jesus better because I've seen the staircase. It's gorgeous. He brought order. I don't know. It's what so many of you uh, teachers do with students. Your job is, yes, to teach math, but your job is to bring order to the disorder in the minds of kids and the hearts of kids and the lives of kids, right? Amen, if you're a teacher. <laughs> when we tell the story of God and people in all its fullness, then it means that our story begins and ends with purpose and with value and with dignity. These days, Christians aren't known for talking about those things so much, right? The world doesn't see us as having a lot to say about purpose and value and dignity, but I would argue we've got the most to say because we come from the one who created us out of value and purpose and dignity. I got lost in my notes preaching there. How we live, <laughs> it matters. How we live matters. It doesn't save us. How we live isn't, um, isn't not salvation, it's purpose. We don't, we don't live well in order to earn a place with God, a right place with God. We live well because God spoke right place over us, because he spoke purpose over us. That's why we do it. We live well because uh, we have been restored and set free and empowered for wonderful things. And we live well because we have been invited into a wild and exciting story, not a boring one. And so because of that, as we draw near to Jesus, we start to become people who, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit, take our commission seriously. We start to see ourselves as part of the crew, part of the vision, part of the work. 
Here's an example. Uh, when God tells Adam to cultivate the world, um, I have this theory that he's talking about the actual world, like the actual earth. We have been empowered and commissioned to cultivate the actual places we are, the actual earth. If, if a renewed earth is the end of the story, then maybe part of living out our commission means that the care of the earth now is our job, not someone else's. It's not just the job of the Democrats and the vegetarians to take care of the earth. If you're here and you're a Democrat vegetarian, welcome, and we probably could learn from you. At the first service, someone came after and she said, I'm a Democrat vegetarian. Do you need help? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, we all need help in this. Being commissioned by a creative creator, God, means that we have eyes to see entropy in the world around us, how things are out of order, and how we might get to be part of bringing order to it how God might have empowered us to bring restoration where things have been busted and broken. Whose job is it to care about the environment? It's ours. Whose job is it supposed to be to care for the oppressed and the outcast? Ours. Whose job is it the underserved, the uninsured, the unborn, the unprivileged? Ours. And also, whose job is it uh, to create beautiful art and music and literature that tells the big giant story that points to beauty beyond beauty? Ours. It's ours. And here's the problem. We're not all going to agree on how to do it. However many of us there are here, we got that many different views on how we should go about doing it. That's okay. Your job isn't to fix everything. Your job is to be part of what you're part of part of the places you're part of and the people you're part of. And we won't all agree on exactly how to do it, but that doesn't mean that we get to uh, bow out and stare at our belly buttons and hope that the government will fix it or the schools will fix it or the activists will fix it or the preachers will fix it. We're your preachers. We don't got time. <laughs> right? We don't get to bow out because we disagree. Instead, it means that uh, we, empowered by the Holy Spirit, go to God for the wisdom, courage, and kindness to lean in and to learn how to do the stuff in our world, how to live out what we've been invited to do. Okay, last point. How, where do we start? It's a big world. Where do we start? Uh, uh, my favorite way to talk about it is Frederick Buechner. He says this. He says, your calling is wherever your great joy and the world's great hunger intersect. Does that make sense? Your great joy and the world's great hunger intersect. That's where you start. Whatever brings you joy and wherever the world is out of order, in that moment, that's where we do it. Uh, here's the thing. When it comes to kingdom work, we cannot all do everything, but the power of the kingdom and the invitation of the God who reigns over it means that we have been invited and empowered to bring order to something or some things. So again, where do you start? <laughs> Here's what Mother Teresa says. I love this. Someone came to her and said, where did you start? How did you start this ministry uh, of taking care of lepers in India? And her answer was, I started with the nearest one. Where'd you start? I found the closest leper and I started taking care of them. I love this. It is great wisdom. Live out your commissioning of flourishing in the people and the places nearest to you, where you spend the most of your time in your house, your work, your school, 
We can do this stuff anywhere. We can do stuff at home, at Denso, at Y12, at restaurants, at hospitals, at office buildings, in cars. That's the beautiful part of Jesus. We get to do all this everywhere, anywhere. Uh, Eugene Peterson talks about your square mile of concrete. Don't know where to start. Look, look a mile. I, I did this. I went, in my, <laughs> I went in my front yard and I stood and I did this. And I thought, this is mine. Sorry, people. <laughs> you got me. This is mine. My job is to take care of this square mile of concrete. And then we spread out from there. Uh, here's what happened with Mother Teresa. Um, one became 42,000. That's her number. 42,000 people. One became 42,000. I trust that the Holy Spirit uh, will widen our view when it needs to be widened if we can have eyes to see it. So let's take a breath. I need one. You need one. Uh, we do this every week. We call it Selah here at the Vineyard. And, um, and it's just a word we stole from the Psalms that essentially means don't move on too quickly from this moment. So let's not move on uh, too quickly from this moment. We wanna leave room for the Holy Spirit to speak uh, into this. You know what one of the fun things about being charismatic is? We believe that if you ask, God will give you eyes to see what he's up to in your life and in your world. That if you ask him, he'll tell you. So we're just gonna make room for that, Okay. Two things, this is just like a side note from this morning as I was praying for you. If there's someone here uh, who maybe just needs, do you know that you were made on purpose, for purpose? You are not an accident. Second thing, where uh, maybe do you need to get your hands in the dirt, figuratively or literally? Okay, I'm gonna pray. We'll just bless what the Holy Spirit's doing. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. And also we believe you're already here. I pray that you would um, fill us with courage. We fill us with brave. This work is fun to talk about. It's really scary to do. I pray that you would give us the faith um, to believe that you might actually have something for us, every single one of us. I pray um, that you would fill us with creativity, with uh, order in our minds, with eyes to see the world as it is, and also eyes to see it uh, with the hope of what we believe is coming through you. Will you give us renewal kind of eyes? And I pray that uh, you would give us Again, the courage to make space for what you want for us, to make space for what you're up to in this world and in us. In your name we pray, amen.